The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, what we just saw and what we just sang and thought about You have sent one Savior to the world because the world needs to be saved and you are interested in saving people. So you sent a Savior, but you sent one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In no other name is there any hope, only in his. He alone has come to provide atonement. He alone has been raised and is seated reigning. He alone will come again to judge all and deliver his people, those who know him and in faith trust him to deliver his people into an eternal joy with you. This is the work you have done and are doing. And we say thank you for it. We marvel at its kindness. We marvel at its power. And we say thank you. And then we marvel that you include us in it. Because if we're honest, we are, as we sang about, a mixed lot. We are a saved people, us who are your people. We are a saved people. And we are a wandering and wayward people. And that you would include us in this big global plan that has impact on eternity, that you would include us is further evidence of your remarkable kindness and of your confidence in your own power. You include us and you will use us. You use this call on us, in fact, to grow us and you then use us to bring in your kingdom in the nations. So we marvel at that and we say thank you. And towards the end of using us, using your call on us and using us in your mission, Lord, towards that end, would you so reign over this morning that your word would come to us in clarity and in power, would change us, would refresh us and renew us, wouldn't leave us burdened or guilted, but would refresh us and renew us even as we perhaps face in honesty some of our lethargy or some of our love of ease, as we sang about, some of our sin. As we face that, Lord, perhaps you would deal with us in some particular ways, individually or corporately. Would you do so? If, if we need something in particular that you want to do this morning, Lord, we ask you, do it. Spirit of God, would you have your way in this room? Would you have your way with this time and with each of us here? Perhaps you want to call in some people to faith, but most of us here, Lord, most of us know you, and perhaps you want to send us out in some way refined and changed and renewed. Speak clearly and powerfully to individuals here, Spirit of God, and renew us. Give clarity to my words so that What's here, what needs to be emphasized, will be emphasized, will be explained, brought home. 
lift up Christ, build this church to build His church. So Spirit, would you lift up Christ? Would you honor Him here? And would you do good to us? Would you further the mission in the nations because of this morning in some way? Thank you, Father. This is your work. We trust it to you. And we sit, really, we we sit beneath you thankful. Build us up and send us out and honor the Son in the process, we pray. Thank you. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 10, where we find a lengthy account of another outreach, another missions event initiated by Jesus, one that has quite a bit to teach us in our situation today. At this point in our progress through the Gospel of Luke, we have kind of turned a corner. We were last in Luke two weeks ago, and we saw that we kind of turned a corner, entering what is sometimes called the journey section of this Gospel, because from here on, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's going to take a while to get there. He's kind of meandering there, but he is on his way to Jerusalem. We saw there at the end of chapter 9, it said that when the time drew near for Jesus to be taken up, reminding us that we are, we are in a plan. There is an overarching plan that God has ordained governing how the world runs. A plan to, for him throughout time to, to act, to move, and then finally to redeem his fallen world and his people. And part of that plan was to, in one day, finally when it came to send Christ, and then one day, finally when it came to take him back up to heaven via the cross and resurrection. That day is drawing near. The plan is moving, and that day is drawing near. And for it to happen, he will have to face confrontation with the leaders in Jerusalem and be crucified. The time for that has come. And so we saw Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He had a a resolved turning to face that, which the disciples misunderstood. They thought, finally now is judgment, which he has to correct in them again, and in so doing corrects it in us, reminding us that indeed the kingdom is coming, but it is coming through suffering and sacrifice. The world will reject him and us, Talked about that in verse 58 and following. We are called to follow him. Follow him through the suffering, through the hardship, in total commitment to the proclamation of the kingdom. That's where chapter 9 ends, with with this turning, with this movement towards the cross, and a, a sobering call to all the people following Christ, all of Christ's followers, that we have to follow him in this mission through suffering to the cross and to the kingdom of glory. So chapter 9 ends, which leads us then to chapter 10 in our passage today. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, is going to hit many places, and before he goes there, as was his custom, he sends out messengers ahead of him to kind of prepare the way. We saw that with Capernaum in chapter 9, and here it is again in chapter 10. He's doing that for this particular journey that he's on. But what we find here is more than just an account of a particular journey given to us, you know, so you know some stuff that happened. Always, what's written is written here to teach us, to in some way 
Show us what happened so that we are informed, changed, taught about how we are to walk with him, something about God, something about us today, now. So this, this happened and is related to us, and in fact, Luke takes quite a while. This takes half of chapter 10. There's, there's quite a bit here about this. this. Luke has quite a bit to teach us, and we're going to look at it over the next several weeks. We'll look at verses 1 to 12 this morning. But Luke has a lot to teach us here about mission, about mission outreach, and what that means for us today. So I'm going to look at 1 to 12 today and make a couple of observations from it, but first let me read. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 12, and I can read the whole account. I'll read and then make two observations from the passage. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The word of the Lord. I can make two observations. Here's the first. God aims to send us into the world as his harvest time laborers. God aims to send us, as people, believers, to send us into the world as his harvest time laborers, joining him in the harvest, in his harvest labor. So he's got a harvest, he's doing something, and he's calling us, he's deploying us into his harvest, into his work. Verse 1, we see Jesus appoints a large group of people, a large group of messengers, and some manuscripts, maybe your translation says 70, and some say 72. For a few reasons, it's probably the latter, but really the, the actual number is not important. We see later that he says they should pray and ask for there to be more who join them. It's just a large group of 72 others, not including the 12, but later in Gospel of Luke, we see the 12 went too. So actually there are 84, it's just a number. Not that big of a deal. A large group of people sent out two by two, going on this particular mission to go before him wherever he goes. But notice, this is a particular thing, and we're going to read about all these details that come 
particularly for this situation, but the context in which this is set is what causes us to realize this is about something much bigger that actually includes all of us, not just that particular thing going on at that particular time. The context includes us all. And the context comes up when he explains why it is, when Jesus speaks and says why it is he's sending them out. He says, the harvest is plentiful. I understand the analogy here. This is obviously an agricultural analogy. He brings up the idea of, of harvest, telling them, I'm sending you out because it's harvest time. And a plentiful harvest speaks to a large amount of grain, not just, not just stalks and chaff to be brought in and dealt with and removed, but actual grain, the good stuff to be gathered in. And that's part of the sweet uniqueness of this analogy. He's talking about something that he's talked about a bunch of different ways at different times already in the Gospel of Luke, but the, the sweet kind of uniqueness of this analogy is important here. He could, and has, he could talk about mission, and we'd think of a job or a task. That'd be fine, that happens. If he used the word witness, that would bring up the idea of court and testimony, the idea of a, of a herald, perhaps, or a messenger that's about declaring a message from an authority, declaring something to a group of people who don't know something but need to hear it. That's fair. He describes this sometimes like that. But here, he introduces a different concept, harvest time. And when he does that, particularly in an agrarian society, now we'll be able to get this easily enough, but in an agrarian society, it, it kind of leaps quicker. He introduces, in an agrarian society, harvest time, and what that does is it brings two large concepts to the fore. One, he brings the concept of urgent, hard, focused work, and joyful, rewarding payoff. So it gets carried in harvest time language. In agrarian society, everything is kind of circles around farms and harvests, but as the year progresses, somebody on each farm is monitoring the field and at some point says, it's ripe. They're looking, checking every day. It's ripe. It's time. It's time to harvest. What that means is all hands on deck. Everybody to the field. The, the stock is heavy. The, the, the kernel is just right right now. So your job, oftentimes farm back in those days had, had large households so that you didn't just have one family. You had a number of laborers gathered together in a household. And your job might be particularly something like, say, churning the milk, making butter, or maybe your job is to repair tools, or you weave baskets, or maybe you, maybe you get an education, you go to school. But harvest time comes, all that set aside, and everybody who can do anything is committed to the harvest right now, sun up to sundown. There's an urgency and a focus to this time about the work here. Because there's a window, it's impossible to find, but there, there's, there's a window 
And past that window, the weather turns and the grain turns, and it's no good. So it's got to all come in now. Right now. Everybody to it. Some have different jobs. Some will cut the grain and some will gather it together in sheaves and some will carry it back to the barn and some will bring out food and water for the workers in the field and for the animals so they don't waste time going back. Everybody's got slightly different jobs, but all of the work is focused on, it's, it's geared on this harvest. Everybody knows what they are about. And there's some urgency there. And when it's a plentiful harvest, like Jesus describes this one to be, it's a lot of work. But it's joyful, happy work. Because load after back-breaking load, what you are bringing in is livelihood, is life. You get this, but put yourself in it. It's not hard for us to understand this, but put yourself in it. You are sweating. You are exhausted day after day from sunup to sundown and even past that into the night. You are working and you are dead, exhausted, tired, and thrilled at the same time. Because what you're bringing in is all that you'd hoped for for all of these months when you sowed the seed and when you watered and, and watched and waited and prayed and Finally, God has given this bounty, and what we're reaping now is, is wealth and life. So we're almost killing ourselves with all of this focused labor while we are singing in joy over it. These, these two things together are what Jesus brings up when he puts harvest time on the table. So we've got to see that to kind of get how Jesus is trying to, to describe the times. There's a focused urgency here because we live in the harvest time. We live in the time of spiritual harvest. The gathering in of the people of God from everywhere, is now. Do you realize this? That has not always been the case. If you go back, back you, you, you could turn back to the Bible, you go back into history, it has not always been the case that the time of the ingathering is now, that the gospel is running through the nations, that the Spirit of God is at work amongst every tongue and tribe and people in every corner of the globe pulling in his people. That has not always been the case. But God's redemptive plan has been moving, has been moving, the pages have been turning, and we have come to the cross, and Jesus has been taken up, and Jesus now sits in heaven reigning. We are in the last day. The next thing to come is Jesus. We are in this period now where the harvest is happening. Uniquely so, now. And he wants to press that home to you by talking about harvest time. And if you live in a farm, you'd know right away, everything else gets set aside. I have a focus, an urgency, that is a happy, joyful one, but is about work. 
optional things get set aside because we have a mission now. We know what we're about now. And it is a happy one. We all must serve the harvest now. We don't know how long it will last, but we know it's now. Everything we do is about the harvest, which does not mean that we're all doing exactly the same thing. Just like in in a real farm, everybody's got a slightly different job, but it's all about something. All sorts of labor is undertaken with this great focus. We know what the target is. Think about this. I'm going to leave the, the analogy language and move down here. What we are about now, what this time is about, is the building of a church that in joyful hope is outward looking and in gathering. Say that again. The building of a church that in joyful hope is outward looking, not inward looking, outward looking and in gathering. That's what's going on. Outward looking and in gathering, on mission, always. That's what we're sent into right now in this time of harvest. That's what God, by His Spirit, is doing right now in this time of harvest. It's His harvest. It's what He's up to. And He has called us into it, really sent us into it, now, always. To be a church that in joyful hope is outward looking and in gathering. One problem, though, there aren't enough laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, double your efforts and work harder. Not what he says. Not what he says. Interestingly, Jesus is about to send out all these guys. Verse 3, go your way. But before he actually sends them out and says go, before that, first thing that he tells them to do, these newly minted messengers, first thing is pray. Pray not about the harvest. Not that that would be wrong. Of course, plenty of places tell us to pray about the harvest. Plenty of places tell us to pray for other people. Sure, yes. But what he says is pray to the Father for more laborers. The limiting factor here is manpower. People power. Among Christians, stick with the analogy here, bringing in the harvest is about bringing people to faith in Christ. The laborers, the ones who would do that, are people who already have faith in Christ, people who already are Christians. What he's saying is, It's the harvest time. We're supposed to have this time of focused, urgent labor. And too many people are not properly engaged in the harvest. Too many Christians are not properly engaged, properly focused. 
with the proper sense of mission in the harvest. It's harvest time. You're a citizen in the kingdom. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen in the kingdom. And the king has declared it is the harvest. Which means something clarifying and something focusing about what your life is about. Are you properly engaged in the harvest? Too few of us are. Too few of us are often enough. Urgent work in joy, but urgent work about the harvest is expected of us. Jesus has already said, if anyone would come after me, this is not for the elite, the special Christian, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And where is Jesus going? We talked about this in chapter 9. Jesus is walking into his mission. Follow me. And if you follow me, you're going to walk with me into my mission, into the harvest field. All of us. Are you properly engaged? Too often for us, the answer is no. And so, I berate you and guilt trip you into it by talking about how lousy of a Christian you are. Right? Nobody's going to admit that, but is not, is not, that how so many sermons like this turn, but the next point is in this sermon process. So get to work. Do what you're supposed to do. Come on, you slacker. Right? That's where this goes so often. And I, I, I cut my Christian teeth in a missions organization. I've been through that sermon a bunch of times. And I responded to it a bunch of times on the front end because, because so far what I've said is so clear and so true. And it is the harvest time, and there is a nation, there, there's a world full of people who do not know their right hand from their left and are perishing. And there is a God who means to save them. And so come, laborer, and do it. And I hear that and I respond. And then I find that didn't actually do it. It got me out there in my flesh in guilt working. watch for that. I am expressly not trying to do that right now. That's why I've identified that, so you can be alert to it and know if what I say sounds like that, it's not that intentionally. If I follow this passage, ironically, as I'm talking to you about this passage, ironically, I'm not even supposed to talk to you about it. I'm supposed to talk to him about it, right? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. And the emphasis there is on him sending out. It's really the word for thrusting or throwing. <laughs> you get there <laughs> because he grabs you by the collar and the belt. Father, throw them into the harvest, please. Okay. Not me. 
I'm not even going to talk to you about that. I'm going to go talk to him about that and ask him to throw you into the harvest, to deploy you into the harvest. But we pray, Father, send them out. The reason we pray that he moves Christians into proper mission engagement is that that all comes from the heart first. Proper mission engagement. You can be improperly engaged in the mission because you've been guilted into it or it's what all your friends do, but proper mission engagement comes from the heart first. And the Father is the only one who touches the heart. We need a reorientation of heart which God must do. Here's what that would look like. We need hearts of wisdom and understanding that see the times and realize what's going on. What the, the times are around us. What is giving structure to life. And it is not the current American political process. And it is not the world's terror problem. Certainly isn't the Olympics. World peace and hope and joy. As much as that's nice, it's ridiculous. You realize that some of the countries, I thought it ironic that South Sudan and Sudan followed each other in the Olympic parade when they had police standing between them to keep them from fighting. World peace. No. It's a mirage. Not the political process and not the terror problem and, and not the, the attempt for people to make peace in the world and certainly not, we often think that what's governing my life, the, the big, the meta-narrative, the big picture like, like plan for my life is I've got to figure out how to get to that million dollar mark for retirement. Or if you're not that old, I've got to figure out how to, how to like get an education so I can get a job. That's what it's all about. We need hearts of wisdom and understanding that realize the times we live in are, this is all passing away. And what actually is giving shape to life is harvest and kingdom. We need that. And we need then in that for God to make Himself the supreme treasure of His people so that when we see that as what's going on, we see the One who reigns over it and we treasure Him. We need for His kingdom to come to us, to me, to you. To come to us, not just out there, but to come to us more profoundly and more deeply and more sweetly and more convincingly. By which I mean we need the Spirit of God to run through us and control our hearts and minds so that we think and feel and want and desire and love and long for, work for, dream about what Jesus does. We must be consumed with a love for His glory and for His kingdom and not for our own glory and our own kingdom. To love Him, the word love, to love Him and to love what He loves and to be freed from the love of self. To love Him and to love what He loves, that is to love others, even those who persecute us, and to be kind and merciful to them like our Father is kind and merciful to us. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. I mentioned love there several times because love is critical. Love is critical. 
As I say, all that that must happen, all that we need, that's not in us naturally. The Father must work that in us, a critical piece of that being love. The love of the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the love of our neighbor as ourselves, not ourselves. Love is critical. So let me get at this in a different way. I'm going to say the same thing differently now by asking a question. Why are so many new Christians such active witnesses? Not all, but so many new Christians are active, eager laborers in the harvest. Why is that? Because they don't see any of what I was talking about as a must or a should. I have to. Instead, those that are such active and effective witnesses are walking around. They are walking around with a few things very clear to them, alive and fresh in them. In some cases, the great irony is they aren't yet even doctrinal truths they hold to. They don't know enough to know it, but they know it. Things that are fresh and alive and true them, things we should ask the Father to work into us. We should be praying, Father, raise up laborers by Father. This might surprise you what I say next here. Father, would you cause the Spirit in these other friends, Christians, to so magnify in them their own utter failure and inability? Follow me. To magnify, Spirit of God, would you magnify in them their own failure and their utter inability, their waywardness, their habitual waywardness that is their idolatry and their sin, and their total inability to make themselves okay, to make themselves good enough, to make a life full enough. Part one. And at the same time, Father, cause the Spirit to so magnify in such ones Christ and His cross who freely, powerfully, of Himself and Himself only, made them okay and made them good enough, delivered them from themselves, justified them in Your sight, wiped their slates clean and delivered to them an eternity of hope, rest, release, joy, privilege, riches, wealth, life. Cause them to see that they could never ever do that themselves and that you have absolutely done it. The, the second one you don't get without the first one, which is why i got to say that first. That's what a, a new non-Christian is walking around sensing. I was lost, and I have been found. <laughs> I don't understand how. But it happened. That is living and alive and fresh and real to them. It's not, it's not doctrine. It's life. The 
actively certain that God alone has saved them and certain of it, such a person will be a laborer in love. Having been so loved, we then love. We love because He first loved us. What needs to happen is that the Father needs to turn our loves away from ourselves and away from our small visions to love, to be awed by Him, by what He has done in sending His own Son as a laborer into the harvest to gather in you. To be turned from love of self to love of Him and love of others. And that happens that happens as He so powerfully by His Spirit works in, in your life to show you your inability and His sufficiency. Time and again, and time and again, and time and again. The difficulty that many of us who are Christians face is that what I just talked about there, you are 150% down with, you agree with, on the question of am I going to heaven by what I've done or not? No, it's by Jesus, of course. But then the problem is that we, like, we set that aside and then move on into the rest of life and say, but what now makes me acceptable to Jesus today? What makes me a good person? What makes me right in God's eyes and the other people's eyes around me and in my own eyes is how I'm doing you got to believe all across the board that how I'm doing isn't good enough. I'm hopeless. Not just for getting into heaven, but for being pleasing today. I'm hopeless. The Spirit of God convince us of that. And then Spirit of God right in the same breath convince us. And yet I am still okay. Why is that? Because of Jesus, because of this Savior. Father, send out laborers into your harvest. That is, Father, convince people that you have harvested them because of your Son, not because of them. If I boil it all down and make it simple, that's how I would put it. Lord, become the treasure of your people. Lord, fill us with your Spirit and impress deeply on us the wonder and joy of your salvation of us. Free us from our habitual pursuit of life formed with our own hands and see life as given from you, received with joy. Show us Christ. We pray for God to do that in people. Because that's what produces laborers. That's what produces a heart that is filled with love. So we ask him to do that, to raise up and then send out laborers because it is harvest time and there are people to be brought in. Second point. We are sent with God's guidance, care, and authority. We are sent with God's guidance, care, and authority. I can't leave the first point yet because I've got to clarify how that's not guilting you. Do you, realize, do you notice that? That that's not guilting you into doing it. 
It's turning you Godward and asking God to so change your heart that what happens is not, in your eyes, not apparently this, and certainly not this from me. It is, it is a new you that says, where do I follow you? What do I do? That, that's important. That's in the first point. Second point. Sent with God's guidance, care, and authority. See, seeing this, understanding what I've just said about harvest time, about the need to, to be involved in this harvest with God, it, as soon as you take half a step past that and you begin to think about the real people that you know, the real job that you work, the neighborhood you live in, the school you go to, you real people begin to think about that, it then suddenly begins to seem a bit challenging. This is going to be difficult because you know some of those people. You know some of those situations and it in your mind seems challenging. And then Jesus does not make it any easier. In fact, he highlights what's hard and makes it harder even. Verse 3, go and realize this, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. I was afraid of that. Rejection awaits us just like it did him. And lambs and wolves is a rejection that is painful. A rejection that involves suffering and loss. That's coming. He doesn't dodge that. He puts it right on the table and then makes it worse, seemingly, in verse 4. You're sent out among wolves, and then he adds, go helpless. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Don't stop and dilly-dally. Just get right to it without anything. And this is similar to what we saw back in chapter 9. He had another sending back then, another list of things. And same point here as there. The, the point of this list is not exactly to get all of God's messengers penniless and barefoot. Right? That's not the point. And so we've missed something if we think that, that what this is is a prescription of a, like a vow of poverty or something. The point is he's trying to take, and we can tell it because the lists are slightly different, and later he's going to actually tell them to take some things. going to contradict himself. Taking things is not the issue. What he's trying to do is take out of their hands, in this particular situation, take out of their hands what they might be tempted to rely on and say, go, helpless. Don't seek ways to provide for yourself or to protect yourself. Go vulnerable with nothing to fall back on. Trust that you will be provided for. Trust that I will provide for you. Notice how that sneaks into this. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. And then in verse 7, he says, the laborer deserves his wages. Whose laborer are you? God's. Not the guy that you're staying in his house. You're not working for him. Labor deserves his wages. Is about God, your employer, you, the laborer. He knows what's right is that you, you get your wages. So you'll get them. You deserve that. And God always does what's right. He will provide for you. How? Well, by this person. 
Eat and drink what's set in front of you. He's providing it for you, comma. That is, I'm providing it for you. How'd you find that person? Well, in your, appeared to you that it was kind of like random. You just knocked on a door, and some people didn't want anything to do with you. And this guy did, and he welcomed you in. But there's no randomness in this. Remember, God is sovereign over all things, and what does appear to us to be a random knocking on doors and a certain bit of a ping-ponging back and forth, no, I don't want anything to do with you. You mentioned peace to this house, and I reject that. I don't want anything to do with any talk of peace and kingdom and, and the king. No. But this person then receives me in. Random? No. I'm assuring that you will receive your wages, and I'm doing so by leading you to a place where someone will feed you. Stay there when you come to that town. That's where I sent you. Don't hop around other places. Stay there. Now, that's the particular. This story's particular. They're engaging in a type of ministry that is less odd for them back then, more odd for us now, something we're not going to do. We're not all going to go to another town and just walk around. I have done that in another country. It was interesting. Even today, in other countries, it, this is much more acceptable, socially acceptable. But we're not going to do this. So the specifics here about looking for a roof over your head for a period of time, that's not the message to us, but within that, there's something that applies to us. What is it? God's direction and care. You go empty-handed. I'll take care of you. How am I going to do that? I'm going to lead your steps. So don't miss the care piece of that. He is going to care for us in the harvest. He will feed us. He will provide what we need. He's a just manager of his laborers. I want to focus on the guidance part. Because in particular, that is helpful, I think, for us as we think about this, this laboring in the harvest field idea. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. You're going to find some people here who accept you and some people who don't. You'll find a son of peace, that is, someone who who receives you and is open to you when you mention some bit of what you are about. Give a traditional greeting, peace be on this home. person says, I'm, I'm about God and the kingdom enough that when I hear peace in this home, I receive that person in. And then as he hears a little more about what you're about, he's, he still receives you. You're going to find sons of peace, people of peace. That's true for us, too. It seems random as they wander through the towns, between the towns, to the houses, but it's not. And for you, Christian, as you seemingly wander through life and you, you look at your relationships, you look at a day at the office or at school and you're talking to and interacting with and sharing with, perhaps just a little bit about what you're about, it seems random. 
But the same sovereign God who talks about guiding them on this journey in their harvest is, this, is the God guiding you on your journey in the harvest to work every day, home to your neighborhood, off to class. And where you are is on purpose. It's on purpose. It, it is intended, not by you, but by him. And the group of people that you're with, the person you're across the table with, the person in the next cubicle over, the person with whom you share a locker, is intended Some of them may be sons of peace, people of peace. Some of them may not be. But each person that you bump into, that you rub shoulders with, is, that all is happening under the sovereign guidance of this God who says, I got your back, I'm caring for you, and I'm directing you. Sometimes you're going to knock on a door of someone who says, out of here, I don't want anything to do with you. But then the next, maybe three, four, five down, you'll find home. All of that is under his care. Where you are and what happens to you, the doors you knock on, the people you bump into, God is at work in all of that and he means to use you there. You have some role in that office or in that classroom. You are an aroma of life or of death. To reference Paul from 2 Corinthians. You don't know which, but you're one or the other. And you're there smelling on purpose. You're sent and led by God as he is deploying you into his harvest. So you can, praying, properly engage, you can go in a happy hope, really, a happy hope, not, not a frustrated hopelessness, like this is impossible, but a happy hope, something that happens here is being used by God. I may not see it, but I can know it. Look at how it may be used. This, this is remarkable. I think this is really, this is one of those things that if you, you hear me say this, and you, we walk through it, you'll say, sure, yeah, but if you will loop back through it again a second time, I find this amazing and actually even a bit sobering. Look how he uses us here. His power is at work in and through you, Christian, you laborer in the harvest, such that you, a human being, you're just a human being, but you go into whatever situation you are in, and you are there, placed there by God, in the stead of God, as God's appointed agent. That's the part where you say, well, sure, of course, but think about that again. Look what happens here. When received, verse 9, Jesus says, Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Throughout the book of Luke, a sure sign that the kingdom is present 
is the sick are healed and the demons are cast out. What he's saying is, when you say the kingdom of God has come near to you, it actually has, because my power is at work and healing is happening. People will know the kingdom of God is right here. The door to the kingdom is opened right in front of me. That's good. Flip it around on the other side. When rejected, shake the dust of the town off your shoes as a witness against them and say the same thing. The kingdom of God came near. And Jesus says, just as surely as the sign of the healing said the kingdom of God's here, I, I'm going to reassure you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The kingdom came near when they received you, and the kingdom came near when they didn't. And judgment, get that. Their response to you is enough to seal hell over their heads. That is sobering. Little old me, in the workroom, kind of like afraid, a little bit, I'm not sure if I want to mention Jesus or not. You are there in the stead of God. And what comes out of your mouth and the response that meets it has eternal consequences. The kingdom comes near in you. Now, there's nothing in you, there's, right? There's nothing in us. But God in us, God in us is real. Notice, Jesus is not present in these encounters here in 9, 10, 11. And he says, doesn't matter. Good enough. When you go, I appointed you, I sent you. When you go, your words open the door to the kingdom. Their response to you, men and women, Circle back through that. We're, we're accustomed to thinking, well, sure, yeah, I mean, I'm sharing the gospel with people, I'm talking about the kingdom. Of course, circle back through that and realize there's something sobering here. We are representatives, such as is the badge put on you, the, the crown put on you, that when you stand there and speak, it is as if God stands there and speaks, and their response brings them joy or sorrow. You know, the idea of a deputy, think of the old Western movie, get one sheriff, something bad happens, bank gets robbed, and he gathers together a bunch of farmers and hands them all a badge. He deputizes them. And suddenly they are the law. Nobody's entitled to say, oh, you're just a deputy. I, get, I don't listen to you, I got to the sheriff. Nope, you got to listen to the badge. He gave me this badge, you're coming with me, I got a firearm here. That's the old Western movie, right? That's what's going on here. I don't have to listen to you, I have to listen to Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus, through us, what a ministry he's given us. Through us, he makes his appeal to the nations. Be reconciled to God. 
This is Paul from 2 Corinthians also. What an amazing thing. Peace with God, reconciliation with God comes out of our mouths and that is from God, driven in God's power and to be to find that blunted is a sobering and terrible thing. But Christian, do you see the privilege that you go out sent with? The authority you go out sent with? You stand, you sit, you visit, you interact with people in the stead of God. This is weighty and it should sober us as we consider the importance, the magnitude of what it is we are deployed into this mission. We are sent by God to bring people to Him. That is a remarkable thing. Who is worthy of such a task? Well, thanks be to God that He has worked in us to make us His people. So that over us is draped righteousness. And in us is given a power that God would make his appeal through us to people in the nations that he is in hot pursuit of to gather in in the time of harvest. Let me pray. Father, we think Probably 50 different things right now are on our minds. Would you cause the most important things to be the things we think about? And I pray, I ask you to raise up laborers for your harvest from this room. Would you in in the particular ways that you can, would you attend to our hearts and put away our small dreams? Give us big ones. Put away our world-captivated visions and give us larger visions for all the nations. Put away our habitual love of self our fearful love of self and free us to love you, to trust you, to walk with you and to love others in your name. I'm asking you to do that, Lord, because I need that in myself. I know how hard that is to happen in me and in my brothers and sisters here. This is an impossible task. But you do the impossible. So please do it. Raise up laborers and move us into your harvest. Would you give a focus, an urgency to our work, and would you give us happy hope, joyful hope in it? The fields are ripe. You are at work. You succeed. There's a confidence in that, a confidence that you're guiding us and using us. Spirit of God, raise up laborers 
Grow the church. Bring your kingdom. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.